Emma Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald, and I'm here with the Lou in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, lovely husband? Wonderful. It's a beautiful day. It's very, very hot. It is but it, but 100 it, degrees outside. Know, but it's nice. It's nice. It's nice to have air conditioning. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, which we have to turn off to record this podcast. So we'll be brief. No, I'm kidding. We're going to give you the full. <laughs> we're going to give you the full rundown of opinions this week. Most of which is television oriented. Um, there's I wanted, a lot of TV going. There's on a lot right of TV and going on right now. Yeah, I, I very uncharacteristically did a lot of late summer binging that I want to talk about because I don't like to binge. But first, let's talk about dirty-ass celebrities, right? <laughs> yes. Let's get this off our chest. Oh, my God. What is going on with all these filthy, dirty celebrities who don't shower? I don't even get it. <sighs> um, I don't know. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis came out and said that they only washed their pits and their tits or something the like ki- that. The kids. They they only bathe the kids. Uh, right. Holes and souls, I when think When they she smell said. or something like that. Yes, Which that is... came out in the interview. And then Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, who are really irritating... But then again, so Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are kind of irritating too. Like certain celebrity couples, you're like, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I can't stand. I it. wouldn't want to be stuck on an elevator with you too. I still maintain that Maggie Gyllenhaal and um, Peter Sarsgaard. I think they're a hoot behind mm-hmm. the scenes, and I still say that Paul Bettany and um, what's his wife's name? I forget her name. Um, Jennifer something. Jennifer Connelly. I'm yes. like, I would love to be next to those two at a party because I'm sure they're really right, snooty. Right, right. But certain celebrity couples, you're like, mm, Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, no. Wouldn't want to be your neighbor. Uh, same thing with Mila and Ashton. They just come out. I don't know why celebrities feel they need to tell you that they don't shower. And then Jake Gyllenhaal comes out and it was actually during a, an interview because he was promoting a product fragrance. Which I guess that he figured that would be good. It really covers up they, my stink because I, I don't shower. Right, right. I mean, the well, first thing first. Uh, I, I'm sure they smell, and but there's no one around to tell them no, that they of smell. Not. So, who's so they tell, don't care. Yeah, who's gonna tell Jake Gyllenhaal that, that he smells? That he smells. Who? Right. No one's gonna. Nobody. Do that. Uh, so yeah, that's why they they you know they tell those stories and they think it's funny and yeah. I'm sure they smell. Um, and you know, a lot of um, commenters and and pundits have pointed out that there is a clear privilege underlying the. Yeah, if you can go around saying that as a wealthy white celebrity, uh, because you're not going to be challenged on it. But if you're black or if you're um, plus size, right. I mean, they, these people have to fight this image that they're you know this stereotype that they you know any sort of uh, may, uh, um, person of color or immigrant right. who comes to this country is faced with this you know, stereotype that they're somehow not as clean as the rest of well, us. Well, imagine a, a black person or, or, or an Asian person, Latin person, say they don't they don't shower. Yeah. Well, Terry Crews came out today and said it, but, oh, I mean, I'm not even touching that guy. <laughs> he, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's really interesting that suddenly this has been the cause celeb among the celebrity set. Um, like, Dwayne Johnson had to come out to and... Well, he didn't have to, but he he sought attention and he decided to let well, everyone know thing. that he showers three times a day. Yeah, and, because he also says how big he is in every movie he makes. You can't stand him. <laughs> no, uh, no, You're I actually jealous. Like, you no, want those muscles? No, ooh, well, you don't want to go there uh, because <laughs> See? I yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I really don't want to go to that. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, button push. No. No, I actually like the guy. I think he's great. Uh, no, it's just that it's these people are just l- seeking attention as usual. And what pisses me off about Miller and Ashton is that they 
came out yesterday, I believe, on Instagram. They made a video joking about joking it. Joking and, and mocking the whole thing. It's like, you just want attention. You just want attention. And you got it. You, right. You had the entire country talking about both of you the entire week. And now you have another video, and then we're going to talk about that. It's just the usual. Now, I will, you know, this being a, a podcast, and we will probably, before I, we get corrected on this, I won't say that, I will say that um, the medical community would agree that Americans actually do shower too much, and overshowering is actually not good for your skin and, you know, the natural oils of your body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is all largely true. And I support that. But again, certain people in our culture can get away with walking around smelling quote unquote natural. Right. And certain people aren't. That's not an option for them. So there is a privilege factor involved. Go ahead. A lot of hot countries, tropical countries, you have to to shower twice a day sometimes. Right. Right. Uh, And in Europe, yes, I agree. Some countries in Europe, I lived in Europe, a lot of people wouldn't shower. Yeah. And then, but you would smell it. I mean, in the time of um, my grandparents, um, let's say going to the early, the first half of the 20th century, it was common that people bathed once a week. Right. Um, that was the standard. That was the standard by which, you know, your children took a bath on Saturday night because that was the night they took their bath before they went to church, you know, that sort of thing. So it, we're only a couple generations removed from the kind of limited bathing <laughs> I guess that these celebrities on- are talking about. But... Um, Again, it comes down to you have to be privileged to go without in the in right. that's the weird reversal now. Go ahead. And I and I guess also it depends on what you do. Like you know, before the pandemic, I used to go to the gym and and I worked out at the gym. So I'm not going to shower. Of course you're going to yeah. shower because you're sweaty and disgusting. Right. You know, you you're going to shower. So you shower once a day at least. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like th- this conversation, I remember when I posted on Twitter that I changed my underwear. I used to change my underwear like three times a day and people didn't understand why. I was like, well, all right, well, I'm, I wear an underwear in the morning. Then I go to the gym. I change my underwear and then whatever. I change it again if I have. Well, that is excessive. And people were like, that is oh, shut up. And it people is. were like, oh, my God. I was like, well, it depends. I mean, you're going to shower and not change your underwear? But why wouldn't you wear the underwear that you wore that morning? Why do you need a new pair after you work? Like, just change back into the... Well, why are we having a discussion? I don't even know. Well, and so you're not going to wear underwear when you're working out? No, you have your workout underwear, and then you have your other underwear. Well, that's or true. Or you just work out in the underwear you wore that morning, then you take a shower, and then you... That's two. That's two. And then if you take a shower in the afternoon, no, home, that's whatever. Excessive. Oh. That's excessive. <laughs> you're wasting water. It's. I'm sorry. You're not getting. Oh, no. I've never. I've never worn a car in my life, so I think I can take a shower. No, whatever. Um, <laughs> but yes, I. I think it's a little gross that they're all coming out and mentioning this, and I. I wouldn't even normally like. Why do we need to know? Why do we even know? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, but we're talking about it. Here we are talking well, about yeah, it. Well, so. yeah, they got the attention. Mission accomplished. And that's what they do. And then you know everyone has an opinion, and I shower and not shower. Um, the whole thing is disgusting, I think. And I mean, the fact that you and I understand some people don't need to shower every day. I mean, right. you make you can make the choice of not right. showering every day. I don't wash day. my hair every day because my, it would just, my scalp would flake off in pieces <laughs> if I did. I can't. I mean, I have that Northern European Viking skin. I'm, my people were Irish, and so my skin is ashy and red and flaky. I can't. There are certain things I can't do overdo. 
Um, and certain, like, I can't use moisturizer, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to use it very sparingly because otherwise I break out. I'm but sorry, that's go the ahead. Thing. No, but that's the thing. You, 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 you say you don't do things and, and then you explain why. But when you just say, well, I don't shower. Right. Or, you know, my no, kids I still shower every I mean, day. that's the thing. Like, Jake, uh, he made some statements sort of like, oh, we naturally clean ourselves. How? No, there's no such thing as naturally yeah. clean. That's How? nonsense. <laughs> that's new age nonsense. With it's one tongue? thing to say... You know, I shouldn't strip my our body's natural right. defenses, and that, and I mean, there is an argument to be made there. But True. we live in a society, and you don't. I mean, if you feel you have the right to walk around smelling, there's a certain privilege inherent in that. But he said he brushed his teeth too. Well, good for him. I guess we should be happy that grateful. That. Thank grateful. you for your service, Jake. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sorry. I. Fine, you don't have to shower three I times a day. I didn't need to know but... that, like, Dak Shepard has swamp ass. Like, I oh just didn't need God. to know no, that. No, I don't. And and like I said, nobody will tell you so because right. you're famous right. and they're afraid of you. They're not going to say I you smell. I will say, you know, in this discussion of privilege and everything, which is, I, I, I you know, very um, on point for this topic. But just to point out, Mila Kunis grew up in Russia and her, her family was poor. And she did say that part of the reason I don't shower is because I didn't have it. We didn't have hot water when I was a kid. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. That is bullshit. Okay. Uh, She has talked in in the past about her her poverty-stricken upbringing in Russia. So I don't know. I know people. I know very, very poor people who immigrate to this country. And the first first thing they bought was a a wash machine. Right. So (laughs) it's not like they're in their beautiful mansion washing their clothes, you know, by hand. I know. By the pool. I know. No, it's bullshit. Bullshit. And then they get all these free clothes from design houses and these people stink. Oh, I know. And then they're handing back their stinky-ass clothes. And we've heard stories like we know that oh, some yeah, of those yeah. clothes come back filthy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's our thought on dirty as celebrities. <laughs> no, uh, we're against uh, it. Now, my suggestion is shower. If you're going to meet someone, how about that? Right. If you're going to a meeting or if you're going to meet someone If we're imposing rules here, I'll say this. Shower. You need to shower four times a week at a minimum. Okay. Four times a week. I'll, I'll let a few days go by if you're not doing, you know, exerting yourself in hot weather or, um, you know, not going out, but fine. But, you know, for the people that you work with or that you engage with, you know, day in and day out, for their sake, you should not stink. Right. That's the bottom line. I agree. And that's Tom and Lorenzo <laughs> solving all of the heavy issues of the day. Okay, so we're going to talk TV today. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about Schmigadoon and the White Lotus. I want to jump in on the Ted Lasso thing because that's actually related to the right. what I want to talk about, Schmigadoon. But I just want to come in here and say that I tore through Dark this in the last yes. two weeks. I'm so proud of you. I know. I don't do um, binge watching. And Lorenzo talked about Dark a couple of years ago on yes. this podcast. Yes. And I, I remember early in the... Lockdown, you were doing. Remember those posts? Lorenzo's favorite German movie. Yeah. Or, yeah. I so know. you mentioned it there too. And I never got around. I actually watched the first episode and for whatever reason I didn't get into it. And it wasn't the subtitles. That doesn't bother me at all. But, um, our friend David, when we went to Fire Island a couple of weeks ago, our friend David mentioned how much he I loved did. it. And I was like, you know, and I, this actually is right up my alley because it's a time. And I knew what it was about. I knew it was about time travel. Um, and so I sat down to watch it again and tour through it. And it's, in fact, I, you're, I'm ahead of you. I finished the series and you haven't watched the third season yet. 
I was shocked. You we were you were like watching the show all the time. You never do that no. unless you really like something. Well, yes. Um, it's a puzzle box show, and when I say it's a puzzle box show, it makes Lost look like, you know, amateur hour in <laughs> yeah. terms of complexity and in trying in terms of trying to figure where where it's going and, and what it's doing. It is probably one of the most complicated TV shows I've ever watched, which and this sort of gets into a slight theme of what we're going to talk about of the shows that we're going to talk about today is that they're shows that most of them are shows that I love, but I am very reluctant to recommend to right. most people. Right. And when I talk about dark, I I mean, you got to be someone who first off, it's a show that starts off like a fairly standard drama about small towns and secrets and slowly, but then with much more rapid speed, it takes a sharp right turn into hardcore science fiction. And the story gets extremely complicated in ways that you just don't see happening in the first couple. It just takes you by surprise just how complicated it gets and how it gets increasingly complicated as it goes along. I don't want to spoil anything for those of you who might be intrigued by this. Like I said, it's a time travel show. One of the things that sets it apart from a lot of um, science fiction and genre television, and this was sort of true, this was true of Lost in a lot of ways, was the level of acting right. and the level of writing. Well, it's but that's true. so uh, high. But that's true about shows in general, uh, international shows. Because they, There's trashy television in every country. No, but shows in general, they, they, they hire good actors. Uh, you know, it's not right. about... Just, I mean, they do have famous actors, and the, the great thing about watching international shows is that I was introduced to a lot of incredibly talented people that I never, you know, I didn't know them, I never heard of before. So... That's a great thing, but they, in general, they tend to uh, hire great actors for every role. Well, with Dark, they had an amazing cast of very, very good actors, and um, it's beautiful to look at. The cinematography yes, is absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, yeah. Um, but, and I, I don't want to, I will say what's, uh, I don't want to give anything away about this show, except that it uh, nailed its finale in a way very few shows see i'm this you haven't seen mm, yet no i haven't I, seen anything yeah. it's several days since i watched the finale and i can't stop turning it over in my head because the show got increasingly comp so complicated during the third season that i kind of checked out i was watching it and i was like i can't figure this out i'm just gonna barrel through it to get to the end until someone explains to see whether they and um, maybe that wasn't the best approach, but I have to say when they got to the end, they wrapped it, they explained it and everything got explained mm -hmm. and every single thing got resolved in a way that felt really true to the show because the show is dark. I mean, it's called dark and it puts its characters through some shit, man. I mean, really, really torture. I don't want to say tortures them physically, but they're, it just goes dark places. Mm -hmm. And they, there's a lot of unhappy, you know, lives and unhappy endings in it. I'm, I know I'm making it sound depressing, and it might be to you. It's certainly not an uplifting show, although I really felt that the ending, they just threaded that needle so well, where they didn't um, shy away from the idea that a story like this wasn't going to have a fully happy ending. But it 
gave you an ending that was so satisfying you can't argue with it. And when you start picking it apart, trying to see whether you... I think it's very clear that the creators of the show knew what they were doing from day one, unlike Lost, which felt like Mm -hmm. they were making it up. They created this very intricate time travel story um, that spans literal um, centuries uh, and encompasses probably two dozen characters at least, all of which have very complicated stories that overlap and interact with each other and sometimes contradict each other, um, and then pulls it together in a way that it just made perfect sense. It was some of the best science fiction television writing I think I've ever seen. The fact that they pulled this off was just mind-blowing to me. That's awesome. Yeah, so dark. I'm a little late because this this series ended last summer, I think. I think the finale aired last June. Um, But But Jack, you are talking so... So excited about a, a nun speaking. <laughs> a what? A, a show that, you know, it's not in English, pretty much, you know, like an international show. <laughs> the look I'm giving him right now, like you, his microphone should be melting with the look. You freaking. You know I went to film school, you jackass. It's just cute. <laughs> oh, shut up. And on that note, let's say thank you and welcome to Uncommon Goods, who is sponsoring this portion of the podcast. Uncommon Goods is, well, honestly, you just have to check it out. It's an online shop filled with unique, totally unexpected gifts. And when I say unexpected, I mean truly original things you won't find anywhere else. Lorenzo bought his lovely monogrammed uh, cheese board with the compartments yes, in it. and gorgeous. The, absolutely gorgeous. And then I got my little poppy uh, cocktail glasses, which I absolutely love. Um, the whole site is just great. Yeah, for get- it, if you have really anybody to buy gifts for, it's there for you. Uh, so if you're getting bombarded with wedding and bridal shower invites and want to step up your gift game, Uncommon Goods has creative, personalized, and really fun gifts for couples, especially couples who already have everything, such as we. Uncommon Goods is also introducing Uncommon Experiences. Choose from live online classes in mixology, cooking, flower arranging, and embroidery from hand-picked artists and experts. That's pretty cool. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high-quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They don't sell products made with leather, feathers, or fur. That's very cool. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2 million to date. How cool is that? To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash T-L-O. That's uncommongoods.com slash T-L-O for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited-time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Okay, so we're moving on to more contemporary television. Before we get to Schmigadoon and the White Lotus, I do want to drop in on Ted Lasso. But uh, actually, your perspective here is is a mm. good reason to jump in because you, it didn't grab you. You saw a few episodes and you were like, oh my God, I, no. I think I watched three episodes and I, I wasn't crazy about it. The The main character drove me insane. And I think that's the point. Yeah. Um, but... In, not in a good way. Um, it, I, I might watch it, uh, but I'm, I'm just not that interested. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There was something about it that was just, just drove me crazy. I will say that uh, here's, the, here's why I'm not running around um, recommending Ted Lasso. Well, first of all, the reason we're not doing uh, write-ups on Ted Lasso is because it is one of those ridiculously over-analyzed television shows where mm-hmm. there's so much being written about it that I it annoys me. And also, the response among the critical community is so rapturous that it doesn't allow room for a lot of new ones. I mean, people just love, 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 love this show. And a lot of this, I feel, I don't want to take anything away from the 
um, the the quality of the show. It is an extremely well written show, and the cast is extremely good across the board. Every mm-hmm. single one of them, including Jason Sudeikis. I know you find Ted Lasso irritating that is largely the point and when you get further into Mm -hmm. the story it is it is it is the story the fact that ted is annoying to all these people around him but the show is and the reason it has um uh you know it's not that popular it's not as watched as 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 people think because apple tv plus is still struggling as a streamer so it's not like it's a top 10 show but it was nominated for a record number of emmys and Every TV critic is talking about it, so you might. It's sort of like Mad Men, where Mad Men right. was never that big of a hit, but, but everyone was talking everybody about talked it. about yeah. it for seven years straight. So, uh, part of the reason the show has has caught on in the zeitgeist is because of the zeitgeist is because uh, it aired last year at the height of um, you know the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter protest, the twenty twenty presidential election. I don't think I'm overstating it or or um, getting out going out on the limb when I say 2020 was an ugly year for a lot of people. It was a really hard, ugly year to to live through. And here comes Ted Lasso, which is the epitome of a feel good television show. Right. This is the reason why I, it's I so I can see why people love it. It came at a moment when people needed that sort of thing, and. I say this without taking away from the fact that it was also high quality. It was really well written and well performed. Uh, Juno Temple is amazing in it. Hannah Waddingham is amazing in it. Jason Sudeikis is amazing in it. Um, Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent, is amazing. Like, there's nobody in the cast who's bad, but some of them are Emmy-level great. I think everybody everybody who got nominated for an acting Emmy on that show is absolutely deserving of mm-hmm. that nomination. So I'm saying all this to point out that I... I see the quality in the show. I appreciate the quality in the show. And there are times when I really love the show, but it is um, so earnest and so um, good hearted that it can really become saccharine at times. I think that's, that's why I don't like it. And <laughs> there are too many people in my life who are cynical assholes that I cannot recommend this show to. <laughs> like and I'm, I'm one of them. Like it, it took me a long time to come to Ted Lasso. And I, I will say this, if you watch, if you're trying to get into it, and maybe it didn't grab you right, right away. It wasn't until I got to the seventh episode, I think it's the seventh episode, which is Make Rebecca Great Again in season one, where I was, I got to the end of the episode and I was like, holy shit, that was amazing. And I get it. I mm-hmm. suddenly get it. It serves up, it surprises you with these character moments that are so pure that feel like real people in real situations and who suddenly got really good writers to deliver their, you know, whatever. Um, not every episode is like that. And some episodes I had a slog through. The one that just aired today, which was the Christmas episode, and I went into that bracing myself. I'm like, oh my God, it's Ted Lasso doing a Christmas episode. This is going to be <laughs> saccharine sweet. And it was. Um in fact, this episode didn't work as well for me because, I mean, they make a choice at the end of the episode to do something that is just silly and it just take, takes you right out of the episode. And they try. I think part of the reason Ted Lasso is more than the sum of its parts, why it can't just be dismissed as an earnest, feel-good television show, is that it's actually quite good at acknowledging darkness. Um, Ted has anxiety issues, and it, this has come out in the past. 
other characters have demons that they that they're trying to fight that that are darker than they sometimes come across. It's not light sitcom fare. Most of it is hinted at, and I feel like this season, especially with um, Sh- Dr. Sharon, I can't remember the character's last name, who comes in as the team psychologist and is completely unaffected by Ted's whole act. And it is an act. I think she t- she tends to reveal that what Ted does is an act. Um, I like that sort of tension that she's bringing to the story. And as I noted a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, what I love about her character is if the show had less nuanced writing, less adult or humane grown-up writing, her character would have been written as a villain, as a humorless villain that was coming in and ruining the team. And But what they're really doing is showing her as someone who is has her own agenda, her own point of view. It's at odds with Ted's, but that doesn't make them enemies. It just means they're two grown-ups who see the world differently. And they present that in a really nuanced and interesting way that I really appreciate. That's when the show goes above and beyond its sort of um, goofy... I mean, there are times when Ted comes off like a Saturday Night Live character. He just comes off like a caricature. Um, he is the only one who does. Everyone around him is so well-drawn. I am in love with Juno Temple's character. I'm in love with Hannah Wanningham's character. I even love Coach Beard's character. Um, but Ted is a cartoon, and that's the show is slowly unpacking why he's a cartoon and what what drives that in him. Um, and I think the... the, the um, the conflict with Dr. Sharon is interesting because it's revealing his own sort of messiah complex. Like he wants to come in and save things and, and control things. And she doesn't want need to be saved from anything and is in perfect control of herself. She's also something that Ted can't deal with. She's someone who states her boundaries. You can do this with me. You cannot do this with me. And someone like Ted, who is this force of nature, doesn't know how to deal with her. So I really love that the show unpacks what looks like a bunch of surface sitcom characters. It starts unpacking them Mm -hmm. and showing them to be the adults that they are. Um, But I am still reluctant to to really uh, recommend the show to too many people in my life because I guess I know so many bitter Gen Xers. <laughs> but it it's very much a millennial comedy in a lot of ways, even though I said this before, even though Jason Sudeikis is not a millennial. Um, but yeah, it's, it's part of that super earnest, feel-good television that, you know, sometimes you just, you got to appreciate it for what it is and realize that it's not going to be mm-hmm. for everyone. I would really love to hear from people, as I said, Lorenzo, do you want to talk about why you didn't like it? No, I just don't, didn't like the character. And maybe I, I have to watch seven episodes like you did so that I can appreciate. I do think everyone is very talented. Right. Um, I can't remember their names. But they're they're great. Yeah, uh, they're funny. But I I I just I don't. First of all, I don't. I hate this. These characters, they're like you know the clueless um, outsider. No, yeah, the clueless idiot American in a in a foreign country kind of thing. I I can't stand those characters. Yeah. Um. I I I just can't see the humor on that. So maybe that's it. Right from the get go, he's just like, oh my god, just you too much. Right. You, you're not real. There's no way you're real. Um, the show does unpack that, but yeah. you have to stick with it. Yeah. And you, I feel to enjoy it, you have to be able to give in to the more earnest moments in the story. And sometimes I roll my eyes at them. Like this past Christmas episode, I was like, this didn't work for me. Uh, 
this it was um I don't know, it was a little too feel good. Everyone everyone mm. in the show comes off a little too saintly at times and there's this very low sense of conflict and the Christmas episode was just like that. However, like I said, the Mike Regina it's the episode from season 1 where they go to Liverpool. Um it's such a great episode where there is all this conflict and all these stories going on and it all sort of comes to a head, but you're practically weeping at the end of it because it's, uh, you know, they it pays off. Emotionally, mm-hmm. it pays so many things off so well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm of mixed opinion about Ted Lasso. I really like it. I understand. I appreciate its quality. I see the quality and I understand the appeal of it. But I am somewhat removed from it at times because I can see how mm-hmm. earnest and feel good it right. is. Um, so I'd love to hear from people who also feel because, I mean, we've heard so much from people who were totally rapturously in love with this show. I would love to hear from some people who are like, it's fine. I catch it now and then, but I don't think it's that big a deal. <laughs> All right. This brings us to Schmegadoon. Yes. Very much the same thing. We've been talking about Schmegadoon a bit on social media, but we haven't really talked it up that much because it's not for everyone. And no. The finale just aired the season. I mean, I don't know if they're doing a season two, uh, but the finale of this season aired this morning, dropped this morning. And I was like, this is exactly why I can't recommend it to anyone. And you are laughing hysterically, crying your eyes out at it. So, And this is what I mean. So tell me why you love... Shem- First off, explain what it all is, because I need to stop talking. Um, well, Shemika Dinley is pretty much a satire of, of the whole Broadway world, um, the musicals and all that, and how, how they have how they sort of have like a formula, how things are done. Especially movie musicals. M- movie, yeah, musicals and musicals in general. It's very much inspired by musicals from the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hate musicals. Uh, and I love the show because the show does exactly what I love. It, it, it kind of like pays homage to it, but at the same time makes fun of it uh, in a way. So I, I love that. I absolutely love that. And... Um, I was reading interviews with the, the creators of the show, especially uh, Cinco Paul. He talks about how, you know, the show is pretty much, and it's it, it's a love letter to Broadway in a way. And I can see that. And I think you can do that. You can appreciate something, uh, express how much you love something, and at the same time make make fun of it. You know. Right. And I think the show does a very good job uh, making fun of the whole musical industry. You really, I feel, sometimes have to get know what it is they're parodying. Yes, yes, absolutely. To understand that it's a parody. But that's true. That's what I love uh, TV right now because we talked about this. Uh, how I, there's so much TV out there, uh, TV shows, so many TV shows, but uh, it's giving opportunities, I, I guess, for shows that would never air. I think right, right. Uh, that because there's there's so many out there because I guess people are not going to movie theaters they're watching TV or um, TV shows so they're saying yes to all these shows that I'm I'm sure wouldn't get you know would never air um, and that's I think Schmigadon uh, Schmigadon is one of those uh, I absolutely love uh, what I love about it is that it's a satire and I think in order to make fun of th- of something you really have to make it, it you you really have to have the talent to make that. And the great thing about the show is that the, the creator of the show even mentioned that he made sure, he insisted that all the actors had a, an extensive musical uh, theater experience. 
Um, so you can see that. You know, there's like, some super heavy hitters in the cast. Some, right. you know, people like Kristen Chenoweth and Alan Cumming and Ariana DeBose and Jane Krakowski and Aaron Tveit. These people have serious musical theater right. back bona fides. And uh, part of the reason, I think the reason, it's really hard to describe what the show is doing because it's a parody, but it is honestly the most loving, non-biting right. parody I've ever seen in my life. They people will lapse into these musical numbers and um, not lap. They'll explode into these musical numbers, and the joke is the number itself. There's, right. It's not like oh, they're singing funny words. Although sometimes the lyrics are funny, but it's they are literally performing the shit out of a classic musical number. It is as classic as classic gets, and sometimes the comedy is found in just how hard they're all performing. Yes, like, yes. These numbers explode, and they become so big and so well-rendered, that's the joke, because it's it's off-putting if you're not expecting it. Right. Um, and certain songs in the production, those, these songs are, I mean, they are pastiches or parodies. A lot of them are pastiches and parodies of recognizable songs. Right. Um, even, they even sound I mean, the like Schmigadoon theme sounds like Oklahoma. Right. And um, uh, Cecily Strong does a very, very funny take on the Do Re Mi song where oh she is explaining <laughs> what, how sex works to two adults. Um, and, you know, Jane Krakowski comes in and not only is her character uh, a, a parody of the Baroness in The Sound of Music, but like uh, Cecily Strong comments on it, you know, comments on the fact that, oh, you're the, you're the character who's oh, going to try and I, I steal my boyfriend. <laughs> exactly. And then when they have a falling out, Cecily Strong says, you know, it's never fully articulated, but I'm pretty sure you're a Nazi, which is <laughs> freaking hilarious. So you have to sort of get the references, but if you're, if you're expecting some sort of Saturday Night Live level parody, it's not operating on that level. It is a really loving recreation right, of what right. musicals really yes, are all yes. about. They're 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 it's a satire, but at the same time, they're saying, Well, but we're gonna show you. Yeah. We're gonna do it for you like as as they do as it. As hard as they do it on Broadway. Yeah. As exactly. hard as they did it on an MGM line. I mean the creators insisted that they sing live on yeah. sets that I mean, it, 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 it's all these, you know, you laughing and you making fun of it. But then when it comes to a number, it's like you get the full on. You get the full number. Yeah. Uh, uh, experience. By a yes. super pro, by someone who is at the top of their game doing this I sort mean, of work. I mean, the costumes are beautiful. The sets, the fake sets are so incredible. Well, we're going to get to that in a bit because I have two. Can I do it now? Yeah. yeah. I have two criticisms of the show. One is that, um, and maybe... I'm not looking at it as a parody of Broadway so much as I am looking at it as a parody of MGM movie musicals. Mm -hmm. To me, it 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 has a more cinematic quality than a stage quality to it. And one of the things that fights against that is the sets are tiny. Um, right. There may have been budget consider. I you know this show came out of nowhere. I have no idea what their budget. And they have a bunch of people on it who are crazy talented. So maybe all the money went into that, but. When I think of classic musicals from the 40s and the 50s, and even into the 60s, it's about these vast performing spaces. Like, sudden, you know, you round a corner in someone's house and they have a ballroom, like in Sound of Music or something like that. Um, or like the gym in West Side Story is this massive, massive right. space for dancing. That's part of what you 
except in classic musicals, not just the fakeness of the background, but the expansiveness of the sets in order to allow for these large musical numbers. And um, the sets on Schmigadoon are t- so tiny that it actually affects certain numbers. When when Cecily Strong is dancing with the doctor through his office, they are very carefully trying not to knock things over because the set is so small. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the few, I'm like, everything else is so perfect. If these sets were twice their size and that would be the joke, why would a doctor's office be big enough right, to dance right. a waltz in? I can that's see that. the yeah. joke. So that's one thing I'm like, I wish they had spent a little more money on the sets. Although I have no idea what the budget was. The other thing is kind of interesting to me is, um, if you read, ever read our, our series of posts back in the earliest days of our blogging, Musical Mondays. <laughs> We had a lot of fun pointing out some of the um, uh, uh, subtext. Yeah. No, some of the subtext, subtext of old musicals and how right. much of it was about sex and how much of it was um, coded homosexuality, you know, coded gay references. It's all over classic films. And they, they do that. They unpack that quite a bit in this because how could you not? Um, so there's a lot about gender roles and sex and he, and homosexuality that is brought from subtext to text in a way that's very funny. The one thing they gloss over and it's glaring is race. And yes. I guess they felt it was too it was it was hard to make funny. Um, but the cast of you know Schmigadoon is a magical town much like Brigadoon in the films. Uh, that um, they the two main characters Cecily Strong Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live and Keegan Michael Key who you know from Key and Peele and a million other you know shows and movies they are a couple from the real world who stumble into this town which looks like a musical and everybody's dressed in like this ice cream parlor version of like Edwardian clothing <laughs> everyone's in pastels and bow ties and petticoats and I mean you get the picture. Um, but the cast of the town of Schmigadoon is is racially diverse. It's modern casting, like the mayor's right. wife is an Asian woman, right. and uh, the school teacher is Ariana DeBose as a black woman. And everyone, and Keegan Michael Key is in there, of course. And every once in a while, there's an oblique reference to right because the main storyline is about Kristen Chenoweth's character and how she's this bigot and she won't let outsiders into the town and. And women and their wanton ways and all that. You know, she's a Bible thumper. She's a classic, you know, movie musical Bible thumper. Um, And the the only reference to race is, you know, Keegan-Michael Key is talking to Ariana DeBose and she mentioned something about Kristen Chenoweth's character having a problem with her. And he's like, yeah, that scans. It's just this. And I'm like, wow, that. That's the one time anyone made any reference to race. And it actually took me out of the story for a second because it's such a glaring it's missing from it. Um, yet, like I said, it, they may have felt it wasn't something they could make funny, but it there is just this hole, because if you are going to parody or unpack mm-hmm. or look at classic movie musicals from a modern point of view, you almost can't. Right. You have to look at how the weird gender roles, the you know, the gender politics of the time and, and the... Um, the latent homosexuality that appears in so many musicals to not unpack race when there is such a history of, of how race is portrayed in classic movie musical. And it ain't good. Um, it just felt like a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they were being accurate to movie musicals, the only black people in Schmigadoon would be servants. And that 
I can understand why they wouldn't do a, a story like that in the modern day. But it's my one criticism. That and the sets are too small. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, the, back the, to you, the, Lorenzo. The sets being small, that doesn't bother me. Maybe that's the joke that they're like, you know, could the, be. C- c- kind of like a high school <laughs> production. I mean, it does look like everything's going to fall over. Yeah, but I, I, but it, 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 I was also reading that the director mentioned that he, he, doesn't like musicals the director of the show which oh, is funny really? yeah but he you know he wanted to direct them in a way that you could see the whole numbers all the, the you know the big production all right, the right, numbers right. the whole thing that's what i mean instead of like just he said that usually when you're directing a musical it they they focus on certain parts like the, sh- the shoes or the legs or whatever because but because these people were so talented and they were actually doing everything, singing and dancing, he wanted to show the whole right. crowd. And you get that. Yeah. I mean, some numbers are just incredible. I mean, I'm the one. So, did Crispin. you love the final number? Did it make you cry? Well, the, I, I mentioned in, in um, on Twitter that uh, you know I cried my eyes out uh, watching the finale because it wasn't so much because it was something that made you cry, but it's just that it was such a beautiful production. I don't want to give anything away but it got to a point that i was like my god this is so beautiful um i do want to say the finale is as corny as corny and it had to be it had to be Uh, it's not my kind of thing but it had to be that way yeah i mean uh it ended the way a classic musical would have ended and they're being very true to that which they're paying homage to but it i was like yeah i don't I don't know who I could write. You really have to understand and appreciate the references because that ending is so corny as to be almost unbearable. Like it is almost unbearably right, corny. Right. But you, but if you look at it as you know, given everything you've watched so far, the right. show had to end that way. Right. Um, and I love it. I love it. I mean, I the, that's the reason why I got so emotional about it because I have, I absolutely love to see talent, you know, presented that way. I yes. mean, we've talked about yes. this before. I, I get very emotional with talent. Um, because I'm a musician, because my friends, you know, they do theater, dance and all that. We, you know, we have friends in, right. in the industry and I know how hard they work. I know how, how many hours, you know, they, I mean, they dedicate their entire lives to, to, to the art of dancing or performing and so on. So to see that much talent in one space yeah, done so beautifully, yeah. um, the dialogues are freaking hilarious yeah I mean, the part the song- it's all very gentle though i mean yes, i yes. don't for me at least i don't want to oversell it as oh my god it is freaking hilarious it's not blazing saddle you know what i mean it's not that no. kind of funny it's just a very gentle take and if you love and understand classic movie musicals you will get this sort of gentle poking that they do at it um but I the mean, cast is just yeah. so talented but when she's talking about you know Giving birth and vaginas and singing inspired right. by sound of music. Right. That song. I mean, I mean, it doesn't get any better. Than I thought that. Cecily Strong was really funny. She in was it. hysterical. Yeah, she, she was. They, everyone the was funniest. great. Yeah, uh, Kristen was also amazing. Kristen Chenoweth is amazing. Oh my god, there's a song, and it's like an eight page, eighteen page song that she sings in one take in four minutes. Oh my live god, live on set, and it's, it's just insane, incredible. And yeah. I, Jane Krakowski is just so oh funny. My, my as, god, as she knows. She knew exactly what to do with that character. Yes, yes, and she yes. wasn't given, you know, I don't think she was given much in the way of dialogue, but she knew exactly how to play her. And she is, oh, honestly, I think she's the funniest thing in the whole season. Um, oh, Syncopal said that he wrote those, those you know, roles and parts for them. Yeah. Specifically it's for them. It's very clear. And I think that's the great thing about having that much TV now and opportunities in general is that 
people are being allowed to be creative and, and choose who they want to play the characters and all that. Because usually in Hollywood, you know, you, you get your production approved or your movie or, or TV series approved, but, you know, you have to use X and Y and Z right, as right, the main, right. as the actors or whatever, you know. And when you get to do something like this and you say, no, 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 I want Kristen, I want, the, you know, I want, I want Jane, you know, I want these people to perform for uh, then you get this incredible production. Yeah. I loved it. <clears throat> Believe me, I don't like musicals. And and people say, well, why do you watch uh, musicals from the 40s and 50s? Because I I watched them, you know, with a more contemporary, uh, ironic uh, take or view. You know, that's why I like them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Shmega Dune recommended with an asterisk. You yes. really have to like what... I agree. Uh, you know, the source material. And if you're not really into the source material, it's just not, it's not some sort of wicked parody of it that, you know, it's not some, it, it's a loving homage yes, way more yes. than it's a parody. All right. On to the White Lotus. Uh, oh my God. Which Genius. I was slow to come to. We were both slow to come to. I started watching the first episode the week it dropped. And uh, I like Mike White, the creator and, and and executive producer, I like his work. He did Enlightened, the Laura Dern show that you absolutely Masterpiece. adored. Masterpiece. But much like Enlightened, I was like, oh, God, this stuff. I had trouble watching Enlightened because it was so uncomfortable at times. And that is a tribute to the writing because it was meant to be. It, it was, you know, holding up a mirror to certain human emotions that are just uncomfortable to watch play out. And The White Lotus is very much of the same style it's it's but once you start getting into it uh and you get into it based on the again um so many of these shows that we're talking about right now are cast specific yes um I, ted lasso is like that um dark is like that schmigadoon is like that and um that's the white why they're Lotus. so great it is these shows would simply not work without no. the cast that they have i agree um so if you pull back from the White Lotus to describe it, it's essentially like the love boat, you know, It's except it's set in a hotel. It's essentially a um, luxury resort in Hawaii on a private, on a small island in Hawaii. And it's a bunch of guests who come in and, and each of those guests brings drama and each of those guests have storylines that interact with the storylines of the people who are serving them. Very similar setup to the Love Boat slash Fantasy Island. Yeah, I was going to say, it to me, is more like Fantasy Island. Not really, though, because Fantasy Island is not a bad... I mean, Fantasy Island had a literal fantasy. They were... It's not the same thing. It's yeah. really just about watching people on vacation and having their lives, you know, unfold for you and all their, their, their personality defects and everything. Fantasy Island. I don't... Yeah, yeah, I think it's more of a love boat thing. I disagree with okay. you on that. So you're wrong. No. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. But um, it's a an extremely high-end luxury resort, which means the only people who are attending are extremely wealthy people. <laughs> White wealthy people. <laughs> yes. And I, what I think is so interesting, what, what really hooks me about this show is that it refuses to be what you think it's going to be, and it refuses to be one thing. So I have seen this show described as a satire of the wealthy, and that's sort of too, true. I've seen it seen as a critique of whiteness, and that is also true. In fact, that one's more blatant because, it, I mean, the characters actually talk about privilege, and, and there is uh, definitely 
um, storylines that um, confront mm-hmm. what it is to be people of color in a world like this that is set up to make white people feel comfortable to be say a, a native hawaiian working in there right. or to be a black woman working in that hotel because yes. oh my god her storyline oh my god i every time break my heart belinda i'm like belinda pull out pull out do that, not get involved with this heartbreak. crazy white woman who yes. is just gonna yes. uh, it yeah i'm breaks I'm, my yeah. heart but it's more than that it's it is vicious in the way it portrays the cluelessness of white people, especially wealthy white people, extremely vicious. On the other hand, the characters who would normally be set up to voice these critiques in the story, for instance, um, Alexandria Daddario's character, the woman who marries the, mm-hmm. the rich, wealthy husband, and she has second thoughts because is she going to be a trophy wife and everything? When you unpack her story, it's like, well, you don't really come off like someone I'm rooting for in this story because you're, you're, you've been lying to yourself. You didn't realize until you were on your honeymoon with this dude who is so wealthy <laughs> he never has to work ever. So we're talking one you percent, know, right? One, you know, point zero one percent. Um, and you never considered what what that meant for your life, what that right. meant for your career and that right. sort of... And then when she starts talking about her career, it's like, well, you don't even have a career. You have dabbled in something that you have had no success in. The only other feedback she has gotten on her work in a vicious scene with Connie Britton is that her work is shit. It's not even all that good. Right. So... In the end, like you get to Molly, Molly Shannon plays her mother in law. Oh my God, she's so perfect as oh her mother in law. She said when she showed up on set, um, she had this whole idea of what a wealthy woman was supposed to talk like. And, you know, it was this very like uh-huh. sort of la di da way. And Mike White was like, no, that's that's not it. You're you're the oblivious wealthy. You're so wealthy <laughs> that you, you know. And it's true. And she does. When you, she she's does just that. one of yeah. those oblivious white women with a lot of money, except. When you get her to start talking about her life, the expectations of her life, and the expectations she thinks her daughter-in-law should have, I'm not saying she's coming off admirable, but she knows who she is, Mm -hmm. and she's able to come up with, you know, answers to questions that this young woman can't seem to answer for herself. So in a lot of ways, as intrusive as as Molly Shannon's character is and everything, I actually think... I'm sitting there thinking you need to listen to your mother-in-law. You need, I'm sorry, you need to either accept that you married into extreme wealth or get out of this life because you can't have it both ways. Right. I agree. Anyway, go ahead. I've talked a lot. No, I, I love the show. First of all, I, I absolutely love Mike White. I think he's a genius. Right. Uh, The dialogues, the everything is just incredible. Um, and I worked in the, in a hotel industry for, for many years. So, I know exactly what it's like uh, to have to talk and deal with these wealthy, you know, obnoxious, you know, clueless. 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 The whole thing they about They walk like, around in a fog. I know. The the idea, I mean, it, it happens. Like, you know, you go online and you took the virtual tour of yeah. your of room. And this and, is not what my room looked like on the virtual tour. I know. I mean, stuff like that. Yeah. It's so true. Everything is so true. The way the employees talk about the the guest, yeah, all that is just amazing, and 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 he does a very good job, I think, presenting their lives as opposed to the people staying at the hotel kind of thing. Uh, well, one of the things, just to go back to what I said about um, how it's more complicated than just being a vicious satire of the rich is. Again, you look at, say, the middle class character of Alexandra Daddario, and she's not coming off all that decisive and 
So, you know, you're not really on her side as much as you might want to be because her husband is a complete asshole. <laughs> and then you get to Murray Bartlett's character, who is the um, the manager of the White Lotus Resort. And he, first oh off, if God. he doesn't get an Emmy nomination for this part... I will scream, yeah. He is the anchor of the entire yes. show. Yes, yes. Um, and as I said on Twitter the other day, redefines the term hot mess because he is a beautiful, beautiful man and he is a complete mess yes. of a human being. <laughs> the and, character, yeah. Yeah, the character that he plays. And here's where the show becomes complicated because, for instance, one of the char- the asshole husband, whose wife doesn't know whether she wants to be married to him, is a complete dick to him through the whole series. But he actually has every he reason has to point. be mad at yes, him he, yes. because Murray Bartlett's character is not only, not only did he fuck up, but he keeps lying about his fuck up and he keeps fucking with the guy for, and the only reason is because Murray Bartlett's character is having a complete meltdown. Yeah. Let's not give anything away. No. Well, I mean, in a way, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. whatever. <laughs> uh, we're talking about these shows. What are we going to do? I'm not giving that much away. You are very good at giving things away. It's not true. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, go ahead, Mr. Brilliance. Go ahead. No. I'll be quiet. <laughs> no. Anyway, my point is that the show is, the writing on the show isn't just about, ooh, white, you know, wealthy white people are bad. I mean, who doesn't know that? Except for wealthy white people. But it allows for other people in the story to be naive or to be self-destructive or to be um, annoyingly vague in their, in their you know, plans or whatever. Um so Murray Bartlett's character, you kind of want to root for him. But on the other hand, you have to recognize he's just a mess. He is a mess. And if yeah. he loses his job or whatever, you kind of, well, maybe right, he probably right. deserved it. With Belinda. Oh, God, Belinda. Played by Natasha Rothwell. Yes. And she's the spa manager. And she gets caught up in uh, Jennifer Coolidge, who also, if she does not get nominated for an oh Emmy for this. Oh, my God, yes. Incredible. She's amazing yeah. in this. But she is a wealthy white woman who is, her head is up her own ass. And Belinda, you know, the character of Belinda is sort of getting caught up in her. And you can just see how her heart's going to get broken because... You just should never get caught up with wealthy white people and their bullshit. Um, Oh, and this, we haven't even talked about the character of Paula, who is, um, you know, Connie Britton and Steve Zahn are this extremely wealthy couple. She's a tech CEO. So they are like 0.01%. Very, very wealthy. And they have two children, a son and a daughter. And my the daughter played by Sydney Sweeney. Oh my God, she's incredible. There's another one who I think incredible. she might have to get an Emmy nomination. Her because, expressions, her face. Well, that's her face. Her face literally looks like that. So because I've seen pictures of her, I think she did a photo, an editorial for like the cut or something. And I'm like, that's her face. And if your face looks like that, it's kind of hard. You're going to be offered the roles where you play rich white bitch girls, which is what she is. But there's so much to the... It's, she manages to avoid all sorts of cliché. She's not like some sort of Mean Girls parody. There's just so much going on under the surface with that girl. Right. And then she brings her best friend Paula with her, who it is not... Um, they don't outline what Paula's background is. It's not very is. clear, but pa- I think that's on purpose. They- Paula is a, a black girl. Right. Who talks like a rich white girl. Like, so you think that they're both, you know, they probably go to some very exclusive school and Paula herself probably comes from money. And then as the, as it goes on, you're like, I don't know. And in fact, I read an interview with the uh, actress who plays her, who she played her as not coming from money. 
Hmm. So, which makes her whole deal, especially in the introductory scene when they're on the boat and they're both being such bitches, like talking about everybody else on the boat. And you, you wonder, is this a black girl who's trying to take on the act of acting like a rich white girl in order to keep up with this family? Right. Yeah, it's just a very interesting take on this character. And she has an affair with a a, a local Hawaiian boy who, oh my God, the boys? Gorgeous. Well, the guy's on the canoe? <laughs> Did you see those guys? <laughs> oh my God, yes. They were all like Hawaiian bodybuilders. They were stunning. Mike White's gay, by the way. So, uh, yeah, of yeah, that's very, uh-huh. very clear. And, you know, you could unpack that the way that the um, Hawaiian men on the show are sort of exoticized. They are, they almost come off like strippers. But I think strippers. that's the whole point. They're so good looking. I mean, there are things when they talk about that, yeah. the whole idea of you performing for the white people. And sexualizing yourself yes, with them. Yes, exactly. There's, there's so much going there's so on. so much, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think Paula's character is really interesting because she gets caught up with a local boy and then rebels against her hosts in a way that could be... I I actually had such a hard time watching that scene unfold. I don't want to give it away. The scene in the latest episode Mm -hmm. where she sets him up to do something and then he goes to do it. And I'm like, oh God, no, I can't watch this. It's such a disaster. So it's a lot of cringe. And I wouldn't say that it's... I don't... It's not... The writing is so good, you might be mistaken that it's making some sort of commentary about, I don't know, America or culture. And I don't know that it's really doing that. Its characters talk about things like race and privilege privilege in a way that people generally do. And those types of people generally would talk about it in those ways, in these sort of vague, sort of, okay, fine, we have privilege sort of way. But that's not so much a commentary on society or even a commentary on class. It's just representing the world this is like you said when he said i went on the virtual tour and this doesn't look like you burst out laughing because this is what we taught this is what bougie white people wind up this, talking about you this know is what people do now people white privileged people right. do now they go online and they create their this whole fantasy right you know and they go on vacation and they expect to get exactly what they thought they were going to get that's why i thought it was hilarious right because it, it is true uh you know uh, Jake Lace's character. Uh, that's the whole season. It's him annoyed. Dealing with his frustration. Yeah, it's, dealing with his frustration. Why is really frustration? Yeah, if there's yeah. really one theme here, it's about people who feel they are owed everything and yes, they aren't getting it. They aren't getting it. Uh, and, and the show does a very good job that they're not that clueless that they don't know what's going on. I mean, because they don't care. They don't, they care. don't care. There's a hilarious scene with, with Connie Britton's uh, She's character. She's so good in this. When she says, you know, uh, there's not much sympathy out there for for white young straight, you know. Right, right, right. She's talking about her son that right. he's getting no sympathy because he's white, he's straight, he's young and yeah. rich, and he's a man. Uh, and he's a man. So they they know they know what they going know on. the world how yes. the world views them, and they just don't care, rationalize it or shrug it off. So I, it is in some ways a satire of the rich, but I really feel like it's just. Uh, white people in 2021 this yes, is yeah. th- that's what it is mm-hmm. this is just holding up a mirror yes everybody on this show is is insanely privileged in a way i will never be in my life but i recognize like like recognizes like and you the cluelessness of of how white people can be is just in that story and the idea that you're owed something and you're not getting it. Right. Steve Zahn's character talks about that about his character is hilarious but man. he's, he's so such great. a an upper middle class middle middle aged white dude who it thinks of himself as the good guy 
because he can mouth certain platitudes about things like privilege, but he also feels that he is owed stuff. He is owed a certain level of respect just by virtue of who he is. Um, And I think when you look at certain characters like um, Murray Bartlett's character, who was having this complete meltdown and is pretty much destroying his life right in front of you. Right. A lot of that comes down to him snapping because he is constantly waiting on people who feel they are owed something. Right. Right. And he feels he is owed something. Like, he's just losing it because... He feels he is owned. So it's literally all about people trying to get something out of the world. And when most of them have everything they could possibly need. Right. It sounds like a really dark show. It is not at all. No. But it is it is dramatic. Like you get caught up in their storylines. Their lives in general are tragic (laughs) in a way. Uh, But they're also rich. They also have all this money. Yes. They have all this money and they have access to everything. So you don't really feel sorry for them. But you understand where they're coming from. Not, you know, it doesn't mean you accept that where they, you know, how they act and, and what they say and so on. But it's just funny. I and, and the whole I think it's clever to do it in a hotel with, you know, I think that's just the perfect setup for that. Yeah. Um, the only two criticisms I have. <laughs> number one is that Alexandra. What's her last name? Daddario. Daddario. Um, she's supposed to have no money. And she has a Goyard bag. <laughs> in the oh, beginning I'm of the assuming. show. Maybe her. It's no, just, I think that's part of it. She is living maybe, the life yes, of a trophy wife yeah. and trying to pretend that she didn't realize this was... Oh, you didn't I think guess, she was getting gifts from him this whole time? Maybe he's getting... He just doesn't... No. Come across All of her outfits are expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. And the um, the second point I want, I want to make is that they're... They rented this most, I mean, these incredibly expensive rooms. Like, they're what, like you, you mentioned, they're like, I looked a, them up. They're like 25000 a night. I just don't see them going for a breakfast, breakfast buffet. These people would be having their breakfast in their, in their rooms, uh, maybe by the balcony, uh, you know, or something like that. Right. Uh, I, that, but I guess. They, it's easier to shoot those scenes. And they had to have those situations where they talk and they have breakfast together and so on. But it just doesn't look real. No, you're right. You, you go into a buffet. No, these people are not going to a buffet to have their breakfast. <laughs> but you're probably um, right about that's that. That's the only thing about the show that I was like, mm, doesn't sound, you know, like the real situation in a, what happens in a hotel room, a hotel, uh, you know, with rich people and so on. But love the show. The opening credits. I mean, the minute I saw the opening credits, I mean, everything is so beautifully done. It's just, I love when, when a show is so creative and, and everyone is so talented. And, and I love it. Love the show. Yeah, it's just, if I had to boil it down, it's rich people with extravagant yes. problems. And who doesn't, you know, there's always going to be an audience for that. It just so happens to be, as I said, extremely well cast. There is nobody who isn't doing fantastic work. Fantastic work. Love Connie Britton in this. Um, The scene when he's on the phone with his uncle and he finds out the news about his father, the look (laughs) on her face is freaking hilarious, but I'm not going to give it away. Um, So yes, watch it. The finale is airing this Sunday and that's why we're talking about it now because we feel like you should get caught up on it before it gets to the finale, which we have heard rumors it's going to be jaw-dropping. There is a big mystery as to who... The the series opens with someone in a coffin and you don't know who it is. Someone died in the hotel and you don't know who it is. So that is the big mystery. I think I know who it is. Mm. But um, yeah, watch it. We... 
that's one I don't mind recommending to most people. Although, if you're someone who really doesn't want to watch rich people being assholes, then maybe this yeah, isn't for you. I, I, I did read a couple of things online. People say, well, it's a little, it's way too cringy, you know, type of show. And it's I don't totally like, cringy. And I don't like that type of shows. But, you know, I, I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. We'd love to hear if you love it, too. Until next week, when we'll be back with whatever passes in front of our eyes and passes in front of our desks. Or pit. Does that make sense? Like <laughs> Passes, Say it again. <laughs> passes our desks? I don't know. Whatever. Until next week when we have something else to talk about. Take care of yourself. Be safe. Get vaccinated. Wear a mask. Yes, yes, Love you. Yes. Mean it. Love Bye-bye. you. Bye.